And as we continue to worship together, brothers and sisters, let us take a moment to look at those ancient words. And this morning's scripture reading is from Psalm 102, and we'll start in verse 18. So I encourage you to open there, Psalm 102, starting in verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die. That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of our Lord. Would you come with me to our Lord in prayer? O Lord, you are our God, and you endure forever. Your greatness knows no bounds. Your holiness is manifest throughout your scriptures. Your invisible attributes are to be seen in the world around us. And Lord, we know that this world will one day be shaken. That only the things that would be eternal and remain true to you would stand. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen and gird up our hearts that by a work of your Holy Spirit, we might be able to stand before you based upon the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray for our congregation and the many people and lives and families contained therein. Lord, you have brought together people from so many different lives and backgrounds from across the globe, Lord. Lord, we have you in common, and Lord, that is more than enough. We thank you for Rob and Ruth and their participation in our congregation. We just ask that you would be with them this weekend as they are celebrating the 100th anniversary of their farm, and I know that Rob and Ruth both have prayed devoutly that this would be an opportunity to share your gospel with all of those who are coming out to their farm. God, we ask that this would be a moment where they get to share and plant seeds of your gospel, and we pray that if it is in your will, they may even see the fruit of their many years of prayers and planting, that they might see some of their friends and family turn to you. We think also of those within our congregation who are not well, 
one way or another, Lord. We think of the Urquhart family with Rob and Lynn and Micah all feeling under the weather, and we just ask that you would heal them quickly. We think also of Tim as he is struggling with migraines, and Lord, we pray that you would give him relief. And Lord, that you would provide for all who are unwell physically, that you would heal them, and that you would give them the grace to persevere even in the midst of their distress at the moment, Lord. And may we all trust in you when such times arise in our lives. We know that this is a long weekend on the calendar, Lord, and we pray for all of those who are going to be traveling and camping. We know that the Bourne family have traveled out east. We pray for safe travels for them. And Lord, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to do things like go camping and enjoy your creation and to travel and see the world and the family and the friends that you have given us. We just pray that you would keep us safe as we do so and also keep yourself before our minds as we do so, that we wouldn't be caught up in the temporary joys, but that we might also see the eternal joys within those things. God, I pray for our First Nations brothers and sisters around us after the visit from the Pope in this last weeks and the powwows in Kihiwin and Frog Lake next weekend that are going on right now. We pray that your gospel might be proclaimed amongst the First Nations peoples. Lord, we pray that you would grant to us hearts that are soft and prepared to take your gospel there and to speak with our brothers and sisters in such a way that they might know you and know your love. And we pray also for safety for those that are participating in the powwows and the events that are going on out there in the next couple weeks. We thank you for our first responders, Lord, the ones that aren't able to always worship with their faith congregations when they would like to because they are out making sure that we are kept safe. We think of our police and our fire and our EMS and our military members that are working to keep others safe. We thank you that we have such men and women who are willing to lay their lives down and to put their lives on the line for the good of their communities, for the good of their friends and their families. And we pray particularly for those who are followers of you. And we just ask that they might shine in the houses and the halls and the detachments where they are placed. Lord, we know our country is not perfect, but we thank you for Canada and the joy it is to live here. But Lord, we pray that our country might as a whole, experience a revival from you, that we might come to know you deeper and come to know you more clearly, particularly for our leaders in the various levels of government, federal, provincial, and municipal, Lord, that these leaders might know you, that they might come to faith in you and they might follow after you wholeheartedly. And as they do so, that they make decisions that would be honoring and glorifying to you. And Lord, we know that we are but one church in an entire body of churches around the globe. We ask that you would be with the churches around the globe that are experiencing persecution on levels that are unheard of at this point in our country. 
We pray that you would strengthen the brothers and sisters that are being persecuted and at times even put to death for their faith. We pray that you would cause your gospel to grow as, they, as it is shared around the world. And Lord, we commit this service to you. We commit each one here and joining with us online. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At the beginning of Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5 and running through to chapter 7, our Savior is giving what we call now the Sermon on the Mount. And that is far and away the longest and most detailed of his direct teachings that we have recorded in the Gospels. And in chapter 7, he gives a teaching about judging others. It goes in the beginning of chapter 7, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That passage will be more than familiar to most of us. We know it's teaching, and yet most of us can think of times where others around us and likely even ourselves have acted in this way. We see the speck in our brother's eye, and we want to find a way to take it out, not, not realizing that we are more than at fault for our own sins. We watch what others do with chagrin. We roll our eyes and we tut-tut their faults. And I've noticed that we can also even be this way towards some of the characters that we see throughout Scripture. We see these people of the faith going through and doing things and we, we see them going astray and we have this 2020 hindsight, this omniscient perspective in the narrative, and we shake our heads and we go, how could they ever make that mistake? But in doing so, we forget that these are real men and women, that Scripture is more than just a lifeless history book, but these records and the actions of these men and women have been recorded not just for history's sake, but for the encouragement and for the exhortation of the church and for God's glory. It is a living and active word that we read in Scripture, and if we truly believe it, it will cut to the very quick of our lives. And as it does so, it whittles away all of our pretenses, it leaves us without excuse, and then certainly without a leg to stand on as far as our own righteousness is concerned. We talked last week about how we come to Mount Zion, that we come based on the righteousness of Christ and not on our own action. And as we get into what we're going to talk about from our chapter 12, we need to recognize that as we look back into the pages of Scripture, that we're looking back at men and women who have followed after Christ, but when we're looking at it from our perspective, yeah, we might see some, well, why could, how could they ever have done that? 
but perhaps we need to take the log out of our own eyes before we look at the specks of the eyes that are in those of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. So, as far as how that fits with our passage today, why don't I read this morning's passage and we'll get to it. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the greater covenant, the blood that we are told speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, we hear more clearly than almost anywhere else the voice of God if we are willing to listen. So will we listen? Will you listen to his words? The warning given to our audience in Hebrews is that we cannot afford to turn deaf ears to the one who speaks by the shed blood of Christ. Like I said, we sometimes look at the stories of the saints of old and we wonder, how could they be so blind? How could Israel turn astray after seeing the Red Sea parted or the plagues on Egypt? How could Solomon in all his wisdom not see his own folly? How could Samson trust Delilah repeatedly after being deceived so many times? There are lessons in each of these stories. In every letter of Scripture, we find teaching that will strengthen and equip us. But we dare not put our own hearts on a pedestal. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. We shake our heads at the silly things we see Samson doing. And yet we find ourselves in direct contravention of some of the warnings of Scripture and we look at our own lives and go, I'm no smarter than Samson in this situation. We too ride the edge of a razor where we can become overproud in our own holiness like the Pharisees or we can have on the other end of the spectrum, a total unwillingness to pursue personal holiness and both become paths of destruction before us. In our passage this morning, our author is taking us from the lesser to the greater, from the blood of Abel, the old covenant. These, these men were judged based on the law, a temporary and movable and earthly covenant. And then we, on the other hand, have come to a new covenant, one that is eternal, immovable, and heavenly. The Lord told Moses to warn Israel at Mount Sinai. 
Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and look and many of them perish. There was no leeway in this warning. To see the Lord was to die. To touch the mountain that he had descended upon was to be put to death. But this warning pales in comparison to the warning that we in the New Covenant have received. Sometimes we can think of the New Covenant. When we read the New Testament, sometimes we think of it as a a relaxation, a loosening of the rules. No more sacrifices, no more ritual cleansings, no more dietary restrictions. But when pressed on this, our Lord said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And from that passage, he goes on to expand the law. Hatred becomes akin to murder. Lust becomes akin to adultery. He commands the people to love not only those who love them, but also to love their enemies. Brothers and sisters, today we are in the age of this new covenant, and we have been warned face to face by God the Son incarnate on this earth, and the clearest of these warnings was displayed upon the cross. When the blood that was greater than Abel's was spilled, it warned us of the incredible and eternal consequences of our sin. This blood brought with it the warning that the old things were passing away and things were being made new. Earlier I read from Psalm 102, God's people from across history have been groaning to be freed to sing the praises and declare the glory of the Lord. Then in verse 25, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Remember that as we've been reading chapter 12, the big point that's been being driven home time and time and time again is that our eyes would be turned towards Christ that in all things, in all situations, no matter what, that our eyes would remain fixed on Christ. And if our eyes are truly on him, then all else begins to fade. That was John's message in 1 John 2. He said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do you find that the things of this world, its joys and its pleasures, are losing their ability to hold sway in your life? This week is 
August long weekend, and I've had the chance to talk with a few of you already this morning. The constant stream of boats and campers and toys is impossible to miss. It's one giant train to whichever lake of choice there is around you of these beautiful pieces of equipment. And there's nothing wrong with these pieces of equipment. There's nothing inherently wrong about having a camper or a boat or a toy or all of the above. God does see fit to bless his people with finances and the ability to enjoy some of the fruits of their labors on this earth. But for some, it becomes a never-ending pursuit of the bigger, the better, the fancier, the higher tech, the louder toy. And it belies an issue of the heart, a subtle and sometimes not so subtle idolatry where the clear pursuit of a person's life is the next toy, whatever we can gain out of this world. But these things are included in the things that will pass away. These are the things that will be shaken. Things that have been made. As I read this passage where it says, this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. I had a odd image come into my head. It took me back to Drumheller last summer with my kids, and we went to an adventure park with the kids, and they had what they called their gem mine. They had a small little water sluice running down, and for X number of dollars, you could buy this bag of dirt and rocks. And you could pour your bag of dirt and rocks in this little sluice grate that has mesh on the bottom and run it in the water and shake it back and forth. And lo and behold, out of the dirt, as the dirt washes away, there are all of these beautiful little semi-precious stones, quartz and amethyst and the like. The key here and the joy for the kids was that those precious stones didn't wash away like the dirt did. They sank solidly to the bottom of the pan and stayed there until the dirt washed away. The shaking of the pan revealed what was of value in these little bags. My kids still have those rocks and little plastic baggies somewhere at home. They will likely still have them until they disappear in a mysterious purge of the house. And anytime they see them, oh man, do you remember that time where we got to go and shake those rocks and wash them off? But the Bible is rife with examples like this. Shaking, revealing the things that cannot be shaken. The refiner's fire separating the gold from the dross. The shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. Our God is in the business of calling to himself a people who is his possession, that his people may glorify him. Psalm 100, the psalmist says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his, and we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. First Peter 2, You are a chosen race and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. To be called out by God, to be chosen by Him is a tremendous thing. And our author gives the people two responses, two responses that should manifest themselves in the lives of the people who have been called. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Before we get to those responses of gratitude and worship, let's take a quick look at what those responses are to be for. They are for receiving a kingdom, and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, in the second temptation he faced, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, I will give you all authority and all of their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In that moment, Jesus faced a temptation that is beyond our wildest imaginings. How many of us have thought at one time or another, what would I do if I won the lottery? Now imagine if all of the riches and all of everything in this earth were offered to you. Literally all of the kingdoms of the world were offered before him if he would just forsake worshiping the Father. And that offer was something of a non-starter. There was never a an option in Jesus' mind to worship anyone but the Father. But Jesus also knew something that would definitely have taken some of the sweetness out of Satan's offer, something that we can know here today. The kingdom that he was being offered was a failing one. The world that he was being offered was passing away and was being corrupted and destroyed. And Jesus was an heir to a kingdom that was eternal. If Jesus is the heir to an eternal kingdom and he's being offered a kingdom that is being corrupted and passing away, where, where's the pull in that? We too are being offered a kingdom that is eternal. And yet sometimes we are willing to throw that away for a kingdom that is corrupted, where Moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is God the Son, the one is ruling at the right hand of the Father. And in Romans 8, we're encouraged that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
By faith, we are heirs of the eternal and unshakable kingdom of our Savior as well. And because of this, this drives us to gratitude and to worship. I said earlier that these were two responses, but really it's more of just a two-part single response, one necessarily leading to the other. Just like a sincere apology necessarily leads to an attempt at reform or restoration, similarly, true gratitude will lead to action. For those who truly know what God has done for them, the ones who have truly focused their eyes upon Christ and heard the message spoken by the spilled blood at Calvary, gratitude is a obvious minimum response. But for this gratitude to truly grow and become fully orbed, we have to know the Lord. We have to know His story of redemption. We have to know the story that is found and written all the way through the books of Scripture. The fall. The promise of a Savior. The call of a covenant people. The sustaining of His covenant people. Sending a Savior. The perfect life, death, and resurrection of that Savior. And the promise of a future kingdom. All of Scripture works together towards these things. There is a thread tied all the way through. Biblical literacy, the overall knowledge of Scripture and understanding of what it has to say, is at an all-time low in the North American church. We are the people who absolutely love and cherish the Word of God and to know the book inside and out. And I am incredibly grateful to be able to be the pastor of a church that understands that to know that the people of this church have a deep-seated love for God's Word, people who are writing His Word upon their hearts and to, that are speaking of it as they come and as they go and get up and lie down. If as a whole, the church in North America and around the world doesn't know this book like it once did, is it any, any wonder that the church doesn't worship like it once did? How can we be properly grateful for what the Lord has done if we don't know what He has done? We only know the scraps of God's story. Many people who their biblical knowledge is whatever they got out of Sunday school when they were a kid. I remember something about a guy who got swallowed by a fish. I remember something about a tower or people speaking different languages. That's, that's about it. There are many who don't even know that much. Both the warnings and the promises of Scripture are spoken by God through His Spirit-inspired writers of the Word. These warnings and promises find much of their weight in our hearts and our minds from the context where we find them. If we just go through and cherry-pick a whole bunch of verses that kind of give us a theology... We're missing out on so, so much. There's a reason why this passage comes after this Hall of Fame of Faith that we just finished. That was a walk down memory lane. And for the original audience, it would have been a leap to go from the Hall of Fame to a promise of a 
future heavenly kingdom because they knew the word and they knew that it was all cumulative. It was all going somewhere. It was all building piece upon piece, account upon account to the coming of Christ. And at the coming of Christ, the resolution of God's millennia-long story of creation was coming to a head. Once we understand God's story, it is impossible for us to do anything but worship. Actually, that, that might not be entirely true. Once we know God's story and we believe it to be true, as God has recorded it, then we are driven to worship. It's more than just intellectual assent here. We can't just treat this as a history book and go, okay, yeah, that records a good history of a bunch of things that happened in the world. We must believe everything, every word, every story, every page of this to be true and to believe it in our hearts. And if we do so, we are driven to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. One of the kind of traditions in a lot of the talk shows and the Facebook videos that I've kind of enjoyed in the last couple of years, there's precious few of them, but one of the ones I've enjoyed is seeing either sports stars or actors or personalities like that going out into a city and asking, they're just dressed in plain clothes and they're asking questions of unsuspecting bystanders well, what do you think about that Connor McDavid? Or do you think he's as good as people say he is? That kind of thing. And for, I'm sure for every one person that actually cluelessly makes the video real, there's hundreds that are just losing their minds that this superstar is talking to them. But these people are absolutely in awe at the end of the video. They're like, Surprise, I am Connor McDavid. And they're like, oh, it's you. And they get all excited and they lose their mind. And there's this level of awe that comes from being aware of who you're talking to. And it's funny when you see these people who, they have no idea who that is that's talking to them. There's a level of awe that comes from being aware who you are talking to. There's a reason why people stand and take off their hats for a national anthem. They're aware of what the nation has stood for, of the men and women who have fought to protect the ideals of that nation. There's a reverence and awe that they're aware of what has been done and why they're singing that song. Even as we talk to one another and speak to when you go out in the foyer, as you talk to your brother or sister, as you go to work on the average day, remember that the normal, everyday person that you talk to is an intentional creation of the Most High God, a bearer of the image of the Most High God. That should carry with it a level of awe and reverence in how we treat one another. I think that's a big part of the whole love God and love others. It's hard not to love others when you see God written on the people that you're talking to. But if we are to have a reverence and awe speaking to just our brothers and sisters out in the foyer, how much more if we know the Lord who is speaking to us through the Scriptures? 
If we know what God has done, if we know Him who has revealed Himself to us, then we will worship with reverence and awe. There should be a palpable respect and appreciation for what He has done. And that goes more than just skin deep. Showing up and filling a spot in a pew is not worship. Singing a song is not worship in and of itself. Worship reaches into the heart and the mind and brings out of the depth what we know God has done, and then we praise Him for it. And we do all this knowing that our God is a consuming fire. Like we said last week, we know that we come to Mount Zion. You heard the description, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, all, all of that. But do not let that make you complacent in your worship. It's not for a moment forget that this is the same God that commanded such fear and reverence upon Sinai, so much so that the people begged him to stop talking because of how loud his voice was and how much his presence just drove them to terror. We worship a mighty God who is worthy of worship. So bringing this thing in for something of a landing, hear the words of the very beginning of our passage. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. I read that and... I keep coming back to that Justin Peters quote, want to hear God speak to you, read your Bible. Want to hear him speak to you out loud, read your Bible out loud. If we do not want to refuse him who is speaking, then we need to listen. And if we are to listen, then we must become dedicated students of Scripture. The gratitude that leads to worship comes from an understanding of what God has done. And we can only understand what God has done through the lens of Scripture. There are many instances in your life and my life, if we're paying attention, where we can see God at work. I'm not saying that we cannot see God at work. But without the lens of Scripture, we have no frame of reference for what to do with what we see in day-to-day life. Without Scripture, we just know that, man... It was lucky that I was able to find this parking spot here or I was able to catch that fish or whatever it might be. But when we are aware that God orchestrates and makes all things work together and he is sovereign over all, then that puts a frame of reference that is totally different. And we can only come to that understanding through what he has revealed to us in his word. We're told over and over and over throughout Scripture that God has revealed himself here. He has revealed himself generally in the world around us. That's why there are so many religions that worship the the trees and the plants and the animals because we can see the fingerprints of God on his creation. We can see that he has revealed himself to us, that he is there. But that's not enough. We need the lens of Scripture to make sense of anything that we are grateful for in this world. And when God speaks to you in your day-to-day life, when you see that God has done something great or done something amazing or even done something hard and has taught you something, taught you a lesson through something that you're going through, that should drive us back to his word to see 
and understand what he is doing. We are, if we follow him, if we know him, if we believe him, we are being granted as fellow heirs of Jesus Christ an eternal kingdom that we get to be a part of, that we get to participate in. But if we want that, then we need, not, we need to not refuse him who is speaking. And if we're not going to refuse him, we need to know him well enough that we are driven heart and soul to worship him. I ask that MJ and his team come and lead us in a closing song. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we desire to be people who worship you. To worship you as you have commanded in Scripture that we worship in spirit and in truth. And Lord, if we are to do those things, we must know you. And if we are to know you, we must be people who have spent time in your word and who have learn from your word who you are and what you claim to be. We pray that we would not refuse the one who is speaking. That as you speak to us by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that we would not refuse that. For you have given your word to your people. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you would grant us the gift of faith, that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to see the truths that are there, that our hearts would not be hardened as Pharaoh's was, but that our hearts would be made soft and that your word would find fertile ground to grow and to produce a harvest a hundredfold of what is planted. And God, when we've been deaf to what you have been saying to us, we ask your forgiveness. When we have closed our eyes and our ears to what you have been trying to teach us because the things that you are teaching us are hard or unpalatable, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us and that you would reshape our hearts to see the value in what you are doing the goodness of what you are doing. And that even if we don't see that in the moment, that we might just wholeheartedly trust you and know that you are good. God, work in us by your word. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. And may we be constantly searching for what you have brought before us in scriptures. And as we face moments of joy and pain and trial and excitement in our lives, may we come back to scripture to see how you have used those things and to know your truth. Pray these things in Jesus' name.